0: You believe that the space we surround ourselves in matters, and you're committed to project by project, building a better world for all of us. If you're with me, let's get architecting. We're literally told to like lean in, but not too far,
1: right? To speak up, but don't be too loud. Be more decisive, but don't be a bee. And then we're also told to work like we don't have kids, but be a mom like we don't have a job. Like we are literally being split in two, pulled in both directions.
0: Hey, Bright Lights. It's great to have you back with us today for this episode of Architecting. Today, I am so excited to have as my guest, Erica Rooney, host of the From Now to Next podcast, which focuses on issues of women in the corporate world, and she also works full-time as a chief people officer. So she is walking the talk, and her focus in particular is gender equality. So welcome, Erica.
1: Oh, Angela, I'm so pumped to be here with you today.
0: Your big focus in your career has been noticing that there's this thing out there that you call glass ceilings and sticky floors. Mm -hmm. So can you share a little bit about how you came to this realization, where you've seen it show up in your career and also in the career of other people that you work with?
1: Oh my gosh, yes. I... I am a person with a growth mindset, and I've always wanted to grow and scale and continue to learn more. And I actually started my corporate career at Verizon in fitness and wellness. And within eight years, I hit my ceiling. There were no more positions in the fitness realm within Verizon. And I quickly pivoted into HR because for me, I felt like, wow, I could go anywhere with this career. And as I started going through corporate America, working for different companies, especially in HR, which is a very heavily female-dominated industry, right? I noticed that all of the leaders in HR were male, but none of the individual contributors were. So, like, how did that even happen? Because if there are no males to raise up, how are they getting these roles, and they were not even coming from HR backgrounds. And that's when I first started to see that there was this proverbial glass ceiling where men were getting into the director and VP levels, but women were maintaining the individual contributors. So I was like, well, I'm not dealing with that. I'm going to be something really went all in and quickly climbed the corporate ladder all the way to the top. So today I sit as a chief people officer, as you said, but I'm one of the few, you know, there's not many women in this C-level role. And as I started to dig into how women are treated in the workplace, the things that we have to work through and endure and tolerate just to climb the corporate ladder i started realizing like this really isn't fair and i'm a mom i've got a boy and a girl and i'm looking at how they walk through the world and how people talk to them and how people treat them and i'm like i don't want my daughter to go through this and i started really digging in and it was the statistic that i heard about equal pay and when i found out that it was going to take approximately 132 years for equal pay i was like i i can't do this and that's when i went all in and i made it my mission to you know be in this position of power but to bring as many women with me as possible and to keep them there because especially right now in the news you are seeing a lot of very highly positioned women like mass exiting are corporate seats, right? We've had prime ministers jumping ships so that they can focus on their family. We have um, another woman from Meta who just recently left. She was one of the third top women to leave. We're not seeing this in men. So there's still that inequality going on that we need to uncover. And in my role as a chief people officer, I, I really love working with the women to figure out how we can support them. So that they feel like they can bring their whole selves to work. Because a lot of the reason why women leave is because they don't feel like they can be a wife and a mom, a caregiver, and a C-level executive. So I work with them on creating that environment where they can be their whole self. And then as an executive coach, I work with women so that they can, you know, air quote, have it all, whatever it all looks like to them. You know, for some people, it does mean being a mom and being a C-level leader. For some people, it means being a yoga instructor on the side. For some people, it means traveling the world, you know, but it's, it's whatever that it all is for you.
0: Success is an individual definition. You can have it on your terms and you don't have to choose.
1: Well, let's be real too. Your definition of success is going to change over your life if i think of my definition of success when i was in ninth grade i wanted the cutest accessories the boyfriend and i wanted to be on the cheerleading team if i had all of that today I mean, my life would be a disaster, you know, I just (laughs) can't even imagine. (laughs) The definition of success grows and change. Even for myself, I define success as reaching the C-suite. And then I got to the C-suite and it's this ever moving goalpost. You know, now I have a new goal, a new thing of success, which is helping women get into positions of power and keeping them there.
0: And I love that you talk about that evolution, because if we're not growing, we are stagnating.
1: And that's just like death to me. So we can't do that. But you had asked about where I see this show up in the workplace a lot and where I see it show up with women. And there are a few what I call sticky floors that I see on repeat. And just so everybody understands, when I'm talking about sticky floors, I'm talking about imposter syndrome, perfectionism, right? The fear of judgment, the fear of failure. So all of those limiting beliefs, i also talking about toxic behaviors, toxic relationships, right? If you have a colleague or a spouse that doesn't support you, why are you still there? You know, and then it's also racism, ageism, sexism, and the things that we have to work through in the world, just because it's a part of the world and a part of our culture and our society. So it is all of these things, and it's different for everybody, the ones that I see on repeat from a lot of women are knowing their worth, truly valuing and understanding their worth. I see a lot around mommy wine culture now, which is a big one. People turning to wine to numb you know, the stress, the expectations, and then imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome is still a big one that I see show up today.
0: It really does become something where we're afraid of risk, we're afraid of putting ourselves out there, and we stay in a comfort zone that isn't serving us, even when it's painful, because it's easier to keep doing what you know and be a victim and complain about it and find plenty of other people to commiserate with than it is to make the change.
1: And it's so easy for people to get stuck in a negative mindset. that if they are in that place of worth and wine and imposter syndrome, that it can't possibly be good on the other side. Like this is it, you know, and they get stuck in this stagnant place instead of just flipping that switch and, and thinking, well, what if, you know, what if I did value my worth? What would that look like? What if I did put down the wine? But if I did believe that I belonged here, what I tell my women often when I work with them, and this is a quote from a Peloton instructor, I'm a big Peloton junkie. And she said, the beauty of uncertainty is infinite possibility. And it's like, if we can just flip that, it'd be a whole new world.
0: Yes. Yes. That zero point where everything is possible and the past and everything you did wrong, all the anger, guilt, and shame, let that go. And all the future with all the anxiety that you love to play the scenarios of how it's going to fail, don't have to be a story that's true.
1: Absolutely. And I work with so many women in the whole point of working is to work through that mindset shift. Because what I love is 15 years ago, The Secret came out and this was like this big, you know, believe it, put it out to the universe and it will come to you, right? Very really, really kind of fluffy. And I mean, I like the concept of it because I believe in positivity things, but I'm a believer of science. So I kind of struggled with this, like, if I just throw it out to the universe, it's going to come to me neuroscience has evolved so much and neuroplasticity and the ability to change our brains is just incredible. And I love it because that science now backs what the secret was doing. So it's so interesting to me.
0: Neuroscience and psychology and sociology. And I love seeing how science really does show us that when we believe something is possible, Our brain finds the ways we can instead of the ways we can't. So mindset and saying that you will do something instead of looking at how you can't or all the things that are blocks for you, then you just see more of those blocks. I was wondering if you could share a little bit about what you do to help people move past that victim mentality? Because some of these things are real, they're real challenges or they're cultural challenges of pressure that being a mom has to look a certain way. So how do we move past that?
1: I have a three-step method. And the first step is name it, right? Because we often don't know what it is that we're stuck in. We feel uncomfortable, we feel anxiety, we feel stress, but we can't quite put the name on it. So if we're talking about not living up to being the perfect mom and coworker or whatever it is, maybe you just feel, you know, super anxious every time you're around your neighbor who does appear to have it all together. It's working to listen to how your body's reacting Do you feel the tightness in your chest? Is your heart rate increasing? You know, some people flush up their neck. What is it that you're feeling? And let's name it. Because once we name it, we can do something about it. And that leads me to step two, which is questioning it. And that's when we go through these questions of, is it true? So if we're talking about motherhood, is it true that I'm not a good mom if I don't volunteer at the PTA? No, not really. You know, like my kid's well-fed. He's provided for, he's loved. Great one for me. My son is seven years old. He loves to play baseball. I don't go to all his baseball games, okay? All the other moms do, but I do not go. I go to the big ones, but I don't go to all of them because I don't need to be there for every single one of them. doesn't make me a bad mom. So we question it. Is it true? Then we say, is it helpful? Is what I am thinking helpful? Because sometimes you will have thoughts that are true, like if somebody says you have to have this many years of experience to do this job, is it true? Well, maybe. But is that helpful? No. We name it, we question it, and then we shift it. And that's the third step. And that's about flipping the coin and looking at the other side and just tweaking how we are looking at it and just being curious about that. Okay, I don't go to these baseball games and I don't volunteer at the PTA. I'm a bad mom. That's the thought we have, right? If we're questioning it and we're like, okay, let's shift that. Like, I don't go to these games, but I do read to them every single night, right? I do lay with them in bed and we talk about the three things that we're grateful for. We talk about the highs and the lows of our day. Those moms who are volunteering in the PTA, do they do that? I mean, maybe, maybe not. But you start to see the other side of the coin and you kind of really dig in and uncover really the BS. That is your belief system. And you can shift that and understand that you are a good mom. You just might not look exactly the way your neighbor does.
0: That is such a valuable insight to have because there's a lot out there about what you should be doing. And we buy into that and we want to check all the boxes, but we never stop often enough to say, do I really want that? or is this really valuable? Or even as a parent, is it more valuable that you keep your kids super busy? Or is it more valuable that you model for them what's possible? Yeah, definitely reframing things is a powerful, powerful tool.
1: There's this one story that I tell people, and I did not even realize what it was until I started doing this work. When I had my first son, I signed up and subscribed to the mentality that He was going to be breastfed for a whole 12 months. I was going to pump. That was the best thing ever. If I didn't do it, right, I wasn't doing the best thing for my child. Okay. I, at some point, wasn't producing enough. So I was waking up in the middle of the night. I was getting zero sleep because I was waking up to feed him and then waking up again, which was then making me irritable, which was then, you know, causing problems at home and at work and all these other things, all because I had my mind stuck on this one belief. Because society tells me or my doctor tells me that, like, that's the best thing you need to be doing, you know? And it's like, well, actually, no, the best thing is that actually that my child is fed and that the mother is rested so that she can take care of her child. So it's it's so prevalent in areas that you might not even realize.
0: Yeah. And I want to unpack that a little bit because... I think women get so many mixed messages, right? And there's a lot of myths about pregnancy and early years of your baby's life that really put a lot of pressure on women that does not need to be there, what you just touched on. But there's also this pressure, like you said earlier, to choose and that if you're not doing the right things, you're a bad mother, there's also this pressure about the role you need to play at work and that maybe you need to be more nurturing or that just because you're a woman, you represent all women's point of view. And that doesn't acknowledge the diversity in the work face at, at all. So no. what are your thoughts on these mixed messages and how to sift? Women? Oh my
1: gosh, it's wild because we we're literally told to like, Lean in, but not too far, right? To speak up, but don't be too loud. Be more decisive, but don't be a B. And then we're also told to work like we don't have kids, but be a mom like we don't have a job. Like we are literally being split in two, pulled in both directions until you slow down enough to stop and say, what is the right thing for me? What is the right thing for my family? And how does this fit into my current definition of success? And then you follow that path, right? They're very individual paths because every woman, every family is different. If you're lucky enough to land in a corporate world, if that's what you choose to do, that supports that type of lifestyle and women in the workplace, then good for you. And if you don't, you might want to start looking.
0: How do you discern though? Because definitely you can say, I don't like this. This isn't serving me but you could be an advocate for change, or you could choose to leave and find something that feels more aligned. How do you know the difference?
1: In my role as a chief people officer, as an executive, it is my privilege to have that title and to live the way that I live, because nobody's going to tell me otherwise. They're not going to argue with me. But as an individual contributor, you have a lot more on the line. You know, you haven't been in the corporate America for 27 years and worked your way up the corporate ladder. So as an executive, I feel as if it is my duty to pave the road so that other women can come up behind me. Like it is my duty as a mom, as a chief people officer that believes in equity to put on my calendar, I'm going to pick my kids up from school. Don't call me for the next hour. Someone who's an individual contributor might not feel like they have to do that. They may feel like they have to say, oh, I've got a doctor's appointment. I'm unavailable. And I remember when I was an individual contributor, feeling like I had to lie when I had kid-related events, like that had me leave work early or miss work, anybody to feel that way, because we are aware, right? That's a piece of who we are, but we are a whole person which involves our families, And so I am very mindful that as a Chief people officer with young kids to talk about my kids. My team knows that they're home at 3.30. And if we have meetings after 3.30, like you may see a kid in the background, I may be helping them with their homework. And I'm very fortunate that I'm in a workplace that allows for that. But it is my duty to pave that and to model that so that it's okay for others.
0: Are you seeing generational shifts as we move through the workplace? I think we've got four generations now in the workplace in terms of what people view as acceptable and where people are asking for a change. It's wild in corporate America these days, right?
1: Like COVID and all that changed everything. And now we've got these four different generations in the workplace They all want to be treated differently. They all take feedback differently and they all live their lives very differently. So I am seeing this huge shift and I think there are some people, the baby boomers and everyone that have been in the workplace for much longer that are starting to understand millennials and Gen Z's a little bit better. And I think that was a little bit to the help of COVID because it forced everyone home and it forced everyone to kind of have this different lifestyle. But it can be challenging because I've got a lot of people who, you know, subscribe to this mentality of like, well, I had to do it the hard way. So you should too. And then you've got Gen Z who's like, yeah, I'm not going to tolerate that. I'm not here for that. So you have to adapt because they're not wrong. And we as a society should be adapting And we now have this generation that's not going to stand for having this complete separation of church and state, you know, family and work, which I think is fabulous.
0: A lot of times people say work-life balance, like mm, it's work-life integration because they're interconnected now. It's not a compartment for one and a compartment for the other.
1: Absolutely. I mean, the view that you see on my screen today with a little play kitchen and a dog, that's what my colleagues see. It's really wonderful in a sense because they get to see a little bit more of who I am and my life. So I choose to be more vulnerable and show this to everybody around me. I don't blur my screen. I don't, you know, put a nice fancy background behind me. Like I want them to see what this reality is.
0: You're saying there's integrity in authenticity. Absolutely because we all want to put on the face, right? The the mask, the veneer, and yet we're putting so much energy to keeping up an image that isn't even true. What would happen if we put that energy to something that actually made a difference in our lives?
1: Well, and that is very much a sticky floor that I see all over the place. Call it the oh. sticky floor of perfection, if you will. But people put on this mask in this face of like, I'm the perfect mom. I'm the perfect colleague, leader, spouse, all those things. But then underneath that mask, you're crumbling from the weight of the expectations. It's not fair, right? None of us are perfect. And it's something that our our conscious brain knows, but our unconscious brain struggles to keep up because all over social media, we see moms with six kids and six pack abs and all these other amazing things. And it's like, that's not really real. No,
0: no, it's not. And it is a huge drain, not only of our physical energy, but of our mental and our emotional and our spiritual energy. It doesn't leave room when you're in that place of fear that you're going to be somehow seen. For who you really are, and that that won't be okay to be creative or innovative.
1: Absolutely, there's cracks in all of our veneers. Let's just be clear.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and I think in my own career, that's been a lot of a challenge I've faced is the Mm -hmm. unpeeling of the veneers and be like, hey, this is what you get, and I'm not for everybody, and I'm okay with that.
1: I tell people all the time, you are not a buffet. You're not here to serve everybody. That's one of my favorites, but we all want to belong, right? Like that is such an innate human desire. And and it's one of the basic ones. We all feel the need to belong, which is why we do a lot of these things. The fear of judgment, the fear of failure. And so before I started my podcast, like I had this idea to start it. But I literally sat on the idea for six months because I was like, yeah, people are going to think a certain thing. And you know, what if nobody listens and I don't want people to think that like, I know everything because I'm having this podcast and I literally talked myself out of it for six months Mm -hmm. until I finally asked myself and I I went down deep to my core values. One of my uh, most important core values is courage. And I asked myself, like, are you doing the courageous thing? And so then I started my process. I named it that I was scared to start this podcast because of the fear of judgment of others, the fear of failure. And then I questioned it. I'm like, is this true? Well, yeah, people might wonder why I'm doing it. People might think that I'm all bad that I think that because I'm doing this, they might think that, but is that helpful? No. And then my favorite question is like, what's the worst that could happen? You know? Okay. So I start this podcast and nobody listens. Okay. Nobody died. Maybe I'm out a couple bucks, but there was no big catastrophic event. And you know, then I shifted my thoughts, and I was like, "Or, like, what if it goes really well? What if it takes off? What if I, you know, get to talk to all these amazing women? What if Oprah comes on my show? What's so big? Just by shifting that mindset, now I get to have amazing conversations with women like you every day about something that I'm so passionate about."
0: questions we don't ask like what happens if I don't do this versus what could go wrong if I do
1: I'll tell you what would have happened if I didn't do it I would have just continued on my life as a chief people officer would have been fine okay but I would not have that feeling of being lit up inside that I get to experience you know and then I likely would have gotten to the end of my life at some point and then like huh I wonder what would have happened, and I would have never known
0: making room for the big dream and the big dream may not fit into your career. So I think we are in a similar position where we're both at a leadership level in our respective companies and that's a full-time job, but we have more we want to do and getting beyond the idea that I can only do it through this channel of my job. Versus there's ways to make space in my life to be the fully realized person. And I'm not too busy.
1: You said something that triggered this thought in my head. You said my job is enough. And I get that a lot from people. They're like, don't you do enough? Like you're a chief people officer, isn't that enough? And it comes across very judgy, right? Because it's my life. Like I'll tell you when enough is enough. But it comes across very much like You should be like hanging out with your kids or your family. And like, why are you working so hard? It's very judgmental. And what I've had to tell myself is it is very much a reflection of them, right? When they see me doing all of these things, it stirs up something inside of them that they probably don't believe they're doing enough.
0: That's a really, really powerful Insight, we have to work to be conscious of because, like you said, we're hardwired to want to belong and to step outside of your own reaction and to go to that higher level and say, well, What about them? What's the yeah. motivation behind why they would say or do this thing? And that's the higher level thinking that really helps you one, not throw up roadblocks for yourself, and two, absolutely courage to keep going.
1: Absolutely. Because before people saying that would have kept me small. It would have kept me like, yeah, you're probably right. Like, I do enough. I should be happy. I'm a chief people officer. Okay, enough is enough. But when I talk to people about the things that I do, I get two different responses. You know, I get. God, you're doing all that? Like, why do you do all that response? And then I get the like, wow, that's so cool. Where can I find your podcast? You know, can I be on your podcast? What's going on? Awesome. Tell me how to do it. So there's two different kinds of people. And those people who respond positively, they're happy with whatever they're doing. They could be sitting on a couch eating bonbons and they're happy doing what they're doing. The other people could be living the executive life, traveling the world, doing all these things that are negative. But they're not happy. And that's why they're reacting the way they are.
0: There's a threat there. It is. Yeah. I think a lot of bad behavior is motivated by other people feeling fear. They're threatened in some way by what you represent. And yet we have to navigate that. So any last thoughts on conflict resolution? Because if you're going to be yourself, if you're going to show up unflinchingly advocating for the things that you care about, if you're going to do more than just your job and be that fully realized person, you are going to bump into things externally as well as internally. So how do we navigate the conflict? I love that
1: you ask that because going down this road in my journey, like I had conflict with my husband on this because he was like, you don't need to do all this work. Why are you doing it? Why do you want to do that? And I was like, it lights me up. I love it. It's fun. It's exciting for me, you know, and he's the kind of person who loves to sit on the couch and watch sports. That's like his thing. Cool. Go do that. And I'm over here like researching and reading about gender equality and doing that. And yeah, like if you look at us side by side and you're looking at one person chilling on the couch, watching basketball and another person like knee deep in six books, it looks like I'm studying for something, you know? And I really had to continually talk to him about this is a passion. Like it's super cool that I'm doing this. Over time, he has started to see that, right? But again, going back to the hardwiring that you talk about, like I'm hardwired to do this type of stuff. He's hardwired not to, and that's fine. But sometimes he still goes back to that where he's like, you're going to record a podcast on a Saturday? Why would you do that? And it's like, that's when the schedule is open. So, but it's like having that constant reminder that it takes all kinds of kinds of people for the world to go round. I am this kind of person, and he is that kind of person. And sometimes you just have to be very strong in who you are. It's not always easy.
0: Thank you so much, Erica. This was an amazing chat. I loved everything you brought up because I think these are real issues that people face as they try to develop their career. They have doubts, they have fears, they're navigating a lot of challenges. And you've given us so many great tools to be successful in getting to yes in our career and Mm -hmm. our personal development so that we can be the people we were meant to be not follow somebody else's mold for what success should look like. I love the getting to yes. <laughs> that's, that's very powerful. I love that. Just get to yes. Yeah, It's so important because we tend to say no to ourselves more than we'd ever say no to anybody else. Right. Amen.
1: Amen. You are spot on.
0: So if someone enjoyed this chat and wanted to connect with you more, how can they find you?
1: The first thing I would say is you can listen to my podcast, From Now to Next, wherever you're listening to this podcast. Uh, But otherwise, you can find me at my website, www.fromnowtonext.org. And I'm very active on LinkedIn. That is one of my favorite places to hang out on the internet. And I'll respond. Just message me, say you heard me here, and I would love to chat.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. And so definitely, everyone, if you have an insight or a takeaway, share it, tag Erica. Like I know she would appreciate knowing the impact that what we just talked about today had on your life. Definitely share any of the outcomes from trying some of these things too.
1: Oh, I'd be tickled. That would be amazing.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much for your time today and have a great day day, the rest of your day. Enjoy this Saturday because you're like me. We, we fit it in when we can.
1: We do what we do, you know, and I will. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening. You made it all the way to the end of the episode, which means you are committed you can follow me on social media at Podcast or visit architectingpodcast.com to download some great free resources. Take care, everyone, and stay inspired.